Anybody feel awkward? I feel awkward. <laughs> the hardest thing sometimes in church is transitions, and so we try to make that as uh, the least awkward that we can, we possibly can, but uh, bear with us as we're making changes to the way we do our service on the Sunday mornings. And part of the reason why we're doing that is we really want that momentum of what God's doing right off the bat, and Karen, I think, did a great job this morning of just launching us right out. Of, we actually started in prayer time, so if you're missing prayer time on Sunday mornings at 930 um, God was moving there this morning. It was really powerful. And so we're, we're after the encounter. Two things we do really well at DCF is we do encounter. We want to encounter the presence of God because transformation comes when the encounter of the presence of God. And the second thing is belonging. We want you to belong to a family. What's really amazing is you can belong before you believe. And that's something we forget as a church. That we can bring people in. We can love them deeply from the heart. We can love one another. We can minister to them. We can serve them. We can bless them, even if they're not a believer yet. And so our heart is, is that when they see us and they see what God's done in us, they would see the kindness of our God. Amen? So that's what we're after. So I want to finish this series that we started a couple of weeks ago. Um, got interrupted by Tyler, and it was an amazing interruption. If you missed last week, definitely go online and listen to that message. It was a... It was a, an amazing, amazing message, and Tyler's a great communicator, but such a now word to us as a church in our region and what's going on in our nation, so definitely go back and look at that. Um, as we kind of finish this series, we talked a lot about a lot of different things about what it means to be the church, and as we're inviting people to church, again, maybe their mindset is they're coming to a building, but what we're really inviting them to on a Sunday morning is to a meeting of the church. Right, And so we talked about that. Church is not a building. Buildings are wonderful. Facilities are great. They're, they're, they're nice to have. But the Bible talks about the church as this word, this beautiful word called ecclesia, and it's the called out ones. It's you, and it's us together in this local church that God ministers and works through, through the gifts, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, through, our, through grace and how we love one another. That's kind of how, the, how the, the, the Lord does it, is through us. We've been given a purpose, we've been put on a mission, we've been part of a family. It's a beautiful thing that we do. We talked about yokes out of Matthew chapter 11 and how his yoke is easy, so everything has a yoke. So every local church is going to place a yoke on you, every single one. You as the leader of your family, you're going to place a yoke on your family. If you lead a business or you're a coach, you're going to place a yoke on people. You're going to ask them to go places because of leadership. It'll take them places that maybe they wouldn't go by themselves. And everyone who does that, including churches, we put a yoke. The key is what Jesus says, the yoke from him is easy and the burden from him is light. doesn't mean there isn't one because there is, but it's light and it's easy. And everybody's under an oak, but what you are under a yoke, but what you want to see is you want people to be under a biblical yoke, a grace-filled, Holy Spirit-ministering yoke. That's kind of what the church is going after. And then we talked about keys um, two weeks ago out of Matthew 16, and Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. So he said, I'm going to give you the ability to bind and to loose, and we talked about what that meant was to, to bind was to forbid something. So as a leader of a church or leader of your family or business or whatever, leader of our, of our nation or leader of a city, whatever that looks like, that we're going to bind. In other words, legally speaking, we're going to forbid something to come into that organization or that region or that city that we manage or whatever it might be. And then we're going to be we're given the ability to loose things as well to unbuy, untie, to free, to release, and legally speaking, to permit something. And so we talked about how that the gates of the city in the, in, the, in the biblical times, that the elders sat at the gate of the city and they would allow things to come in and they would forbid things 
to come, to come in. That was their job. Was what they, they managed the city. What came in should be good and honorable and helpful, and they would keep out the, the danger, the you know, crime, and, and all the, the, the messed up stuff. They would make sure that they forbid that. And we talked about patterns and how um, God, has, is, God is a God of patterns, and the ark is a pattern, and, and the law is a pattern. Even the Bible talking about uh, uh, the, uh, the Lamb of God being slain, and you know, the, in the early days of the Bible, the, they would take a lamb, they would they would they would cut it, they would take its blood, and they would sprinkle it on the altar. And so the, the the whole temple had to be built specifically how God said to build it, because there was it turns out there's a temple in heaven, some sort of spiritual temple in heaven, where the Bible says that the Lamb of God, Jesus, before the foundations of time, was slain, and then when He died on the cross, that blood was a supernatural blood that was taken and it was sprinkled on the holy in the holy of holies on the ark of the covenant there the the original version of that because the world and, and the temple in the world was just a, a shadow of it just a symbol of it but it had to be built exactly right because it mattered in heaven and so God's a God of patterns we talked about that and so we said if God, if you do God's thing uh, his way you get God's best and if you do it wrong, then you stand to limit what God wants to pour into your life. And then we talked about how you build is important. And Paul said, when I, when I came and I built, I built with the foundation of Jesus and who he was. So be careful not to build anything else on that foundation that shouldn't be built there. And we build our life, your character, your identity. That's being built all the time. These patterns of how God designed it to be, including the church. And then he had a plan for the church. And the plan is a supernatural plan led by supernatural leaders. And so then last week, Tyler came and did a phenomenal job talking about culture. And every church has a culture. Every church has a yoke. That's just another, another way of saying it. And he defined culture as the environment created through people who embrace the same values. And so part of you deciding whether you want to be a part of a local church is you come in and you hear the message being preached. You see the way people treat one another. And you say, is that something does that hold my values, or does that value need to be something I change my values and become more like? And so he talked about how every culture produces fruit. Every church will produce fruit. Local church will produce fruit. And then we eat the fruit of the culture we choose to live in. And I love the last part of that. He didn't talk about that a lot, but he said, we, we eat of the fruit of the culture we choose to live in. So it is a choice, and you have to make a choice. And if you don't make a choice... That's a choice. And <laughs> we forget that. Passivity is a choice. And so just keep that in mind. And so today I just want to finish this series out with three key elements of what a New Testament church looks like. So the first thing is it must include the gospel or what Paul called the gospel of grace. And so in Acts 20, 24, he's talking about this call and he's going out and he's preaching. He's on this, this call, this mission that God's called him to. And this is what it says. He says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, which remember Tyler was talking about that selflessness as the key, keystone of the kingdom. He said, I don't count my life dear to myself, so. So in other words, I, I say no to these things so I can say yes to this. And he says, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, which is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And the gospel just means good news. As a matter of fact, the way it's translated in the original language means almost too good to be true news. You ever, you ever get something in the mail? We get stuff sometimes in the mail, and it's like it's the, the, the deal is really, really awesome, and all you have to do is, is go to that website and submit your you know, social security number, your date of birth, and 
<laughs> and you're like, that's actually too good to be true. And it is, but the gospel is almost too good to be true, except for it is that good. And that's part of what Karen was talking about earlier, that, that one of the joys that we get as a church, as a local church, is to represent Jesus as the God who is good. See, we've got a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of brokenness in the world, and people build a worldview about why that is so. And we do that as well. God has given us a worldview. He's given us a revelation from Scripture why things are so broken. And it's because of original sin. It's because we went astray, not because God did. And it turns out that all of that brokenness, even in a broken world that we've created for ourselves, God's goodness comes in and breaks through. And wants to, he wants to bring his goodness into our lives where brokenness has been in its place. And so he goes on to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And he's talking about a new covenant. We've covered this in many, many places, many series in the past. So go back and check on some of that, and I promise you we'll go after it again. But the New Testament is also the new covenant, and covenant is like an agreement. So there's this new agreement. There was an old agreement, and the big one was the Mosaic law, the law where you had to do this, um, you know, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not do this. And if you do, if you break the law, the curses will come on you. If you obey the law, the blessings will come on you. But James said if you break the law in one place, you've broken all the laws. And so the law was presented, the old covenant was presented to show you that you could not do it in your own strength. We've talked about this before. The Bible says the law was a tutor that brought me to Jesus, brought me to the Messiah, brought me to someone who outside of me could save me, could rescue me, who could come and change my heart and change my nature. So Hebrews 8.10 talks about this. Jeremiah 30 is a promise and a prophetic word as it's coming, but it, Hebrews is talking about it's already come. And he says it this way, This is the covenant, the agreement, I will establish with the people of Israel after that time. And he's quoting from the Old Testament, and he's saying that it's fulfilled in Jesus. He says, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. Remember Jesus said when he was asked, what's the greatest laws? What, what's the greatest law in the Bible? And he said, it's to love, love God, Love people like you love yourself, right? So this is what he's saying. When you get the law of love, when your heart and your nature has been changed because you believed in the finished work of Jesus, something happens to you. you. The laws of God come inside your mind. You want to do the right thing. You have a new heart and a new nature. And when you sin, not even if you do, but when you sin, the Bible says you have an advocate with the Father. Now let me just let me pause right there because this is the picture we've gotten in the past. The Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us, talking about Jesus. And so we get this in our, our head and whole denominations are built around this concept. So follow me with this. That he ever lives to make intercession. So this is what we think. I become a believer. Jesus saves me. He takes away all my sin. He puts a new nature and a new heart in me. Takes away the heart of stone, puts a heart of flesh. I want to live for him, but I've got all of these challenges, these, the flesh, and I've got all these things, that the patterns of my old life that have come in, and then the Bible speaks to your mind has to be renewed. There's transformation that needs to occur, and you have to take on a new mind, and you have to become aligned with the purposes and the plan and the will of God, right? So this is what happens. He ever lives to make intercession. So I become a believer, and I find myself repeating old patterns of sin, so then I say, well, maybe I'm not saved at all. So I revert and go back to, I think in my head, I'm living from my old nature, but you're not. There's the flesh, there's the world, there's lots of things. And again, we taught into this. But here's where it gets really hairy. When I think, when I think, he ever lives to make intercession, this is a picture I get in my head, and maybe you do too, that when he's, he's up there, right, and I've sinned, and now the Father is angry at me again. 
right? Because I've broken the commandments. Now he's angry. And so Jesus up there pleading. You know, he's got his little hands with a little halo around his hands, and he looks like a, you know, a Westerner, <laughs> a white guy, whatever. Anyway, that's another story. But he's praying. He's like, please, Father, please, Father, please don't kill him. Don't kill him. Don't kill him. Don't kill him. Right? That's what we think because God's up there with a hammer ready, ready to smite. Right? And he's like, don't smite. Don't smite. Please don't smite. And then that's not enough. So we create saints because Jesus is not entirely not angry either. So he's also a little angry. Right? So I pray to a saint and then the saint, the saint prays to Jesus and then Jesus prays to the Father, and I'm like, man, how, how, how mad are you guys up there? Because it's a lot of angry people in heaven, it seems like, right? But listen to what it says. This is so powerful. He says, no longer will they teach their neighbor, say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, right? We'll get to know him. And then listen, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. You go through the New Testament, this new covenant, this new agreement with us, because of the finished work of what Jesus did, the Bible says he no longer holds your sin against you. But what if I sin? He no longer holds your sin against you. Yeah, but what if I screw up? What if I did it on purpose? What if I, I, I was mad? He no longer holds your sin against you. We believe this as a local church. We preach the good news of the gospel of grace right? The gospel's the good news. We preach the good news of the grace of God, that because of what Jesus has done, the finished work of, of the cross, and the fact that you have placed your trust in him, and he's given you a new nature and a new heart, now, if you sin, the Bible says you have an advocate with the Father, and he ever lives to make intercession. And here's what that means. It means he's always alive because he's alive. He was raised from the dead, and he ever lives. He is eternally alive. His sacrifice was accepted. And now, he no longer holds your sin against you. You know what that means to you? That means when you screw up, and you do something in your own heart, in your own nature, pushes back against that and saying, oh, that feels wrong. I yelled at my wife. Man, I, I got angry with my kids without cause or with cause. <laughs> I took it a little bit too far. And I feel the weight of that, and I think it's my old nature rising up again, and it's not. It's old patterns. It's misalignments, all those things. And the grace of God gives you the space to say now, I can come boldly before the throne of grace for help in that time of need. And he is alive. Because he is alive, the grace of God washes over me, and there is no time when God turns his face from me. No time that God ever turns his face from me. And let me tell you that, in the modern church, that is controversial. But that is a keynote, a key element in the New Testament church. And what does that do? When you get that, and you, here's what we do. We fight, we've been taught to fight sin so hard that we never stop fighting sin. We, we can never get to the place where I say, you know what, God, actually I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful you've changed me in so many ways. It's, it's not often that I do find myself in those old patterns or, or, or screwing it up. I find myself walking according to your ways, and I'm finding joy. Remember Paul said there's a joy in him as the grace of God flows out of him, right? And so what does that do? Because it's not the works and the law, but it's faith and it's grace. It's trusting that God has taken away my sin. What begins to happen when I believe that he actually has done that? And all of a sudden, the inheritance of God 
becomes available. The truth is, it's always been available to me. And the inheritance of God begins to rise up out of me. God says, hey, this is yours because you believed in the finished work of of Christ. So what is that? We get this gospel that transforms lives, also releases the the inheritance of God in our lives. So I just want to give you a few names of God because this is the old covenant that's promised to us, right? In the old covenant, all the names of God were promises to the people of God who would obey the law. But in the new covenant, these promises are to you because you have believed and put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. When he said it is finished, he wasn't kidding. Amen? So here's, here's just a couple of those. I'm just going to throw some at you. El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God. In other words, he is more than enough. The inheritance of God, what you have in Christ Jesus, means that he is more than enough for every emotional, every physical need, every financial need, every spiritual need. He is El Shaddai. He is more than enough. Jehovah, our maker, that we have a purpose. He envisioned something for us when he made us. Jehovah will provide. He's our source. When we co-labor, when we co-labor with God, we co-inherit. We are co-laborers and co-heirs, right? And so Jehovah will provide means he's our source, and he initiates, and then we co-labor, and because of that, we can inherit from him. Jehovah, the God that heals me. Wholeness, not sickness, is his plan. We pray for one another to be whole, body, soul, and spirit. But what if I don't see it happen? Then keep praying. You want to you hear some, one of the most interesting scriptures to me in the entire New Testament? It was Jesus prays for a guy, and he said, can you see? And the guy said, I see people like trees. They're fuzzy. Guess what Jesus did? Threw his hands up, declared, you know what? I guess God doesn't heal anymore, creates this whole doctrine that takes us all down that road. Is that what he did? No. He said, well, I'll pray again. And he was 100%, 100% full of faith, in every way possible. And when it didn't happen, his initial response was not to give up, throw the towel in, go you know, climb into the fetal position and whine and complain about how mean God was. Because this is what we have done in the past. Jesus said, I don't know what's going on here. Well, he probably did. <laughs> but he didn't say it out loud. He just prayed for the guy again. So let's, let's you and I do that. That's part of our inheritance. Jehovah, the, the God who heals. Jehovah, my banner. He goes before me. Jehovah who sanctifies me, that the gospel makes me clean. He sets me apart for a purpose, not just to be clean. That's wonderful, but we're clean for a purpose. Let there be dark, I guess, <laughs> and light. Jehovah and peace. This is what's so amazing about Jehovah. He, three times he says it different way. Jehovah our God, Jehovah your God, Jehovah my God. And he's talking about a relationship, this intimate relationship, that we can know him, that we can apprehend who he is. Listen, if I can know God fully, I'm probably God, right? So so there's parts of God, there's some things that we're just not going to understand until we're known like he knows us, and Scripture speaks to that. But in the meantime, we can have a relationship, and we can apprehend him, and we can walk in his presence. Jehovah sends peace. Jehovah, Jesus, the Bible says, is our peace in the New Testament. Jehovah of hosts, the God of angel armies. That's a powerful, there's a whole song around that uh, that came out a couple years ago. Jehovah my shepherd, he leads me as I follow him. Jehovah the most high, he's the creator and everything else is the created, including the devil. That's a whole sermon series all by itself. Jehovah our righteousness. This is the big one, right? 
Jesus is our righteousness. He took our sin. Jesus took his, our sin on the cross and gave us his righteousness. That part of the key element of the gospel of grace is that when we recognize that, we have, that sin has been taken away, that now there's the fullness, there is nothing in the way of me receiving every bit of inheritance from God. But what if I'm not good enough? You're not but you can still receive the inheritance of good because your father is good even when you're not. And the Bible literally says it this way, that when you are faithless, he is not faithless. He is full of faith. It's a powerful, powerful thing, this inheritance. And then lastly, Jehovah is there. Silly when you think about it. What, do you, well, what does that mean, Jehovah is there? That he ever lives. Jesus ever lives to make intercession, that his presence now, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, his presence, hear me, never departs. But what if I sin some juicy sin? Jesus is right there with you. I know that because in Corinthians, the Bible talks about this, this kind of concept of what about if I'm in sin? Does, does God walk away from me? No. You, listen, the consequences of sin are still the consequences of sin. You go do some dumb thing, um, you know, Stupid is what stupid gets. That's another way I'm saying it, right? But that's, that's here. But your inheritance in heaven is available to you, and that can be rescued. I, I had a friend, I shared this story about this guy in, in, who was in Bible college with me who was in San Quentin when he gave his life to Jesus. He was never supposed to get out. He got out in less than 10 years. In the meantime, he'd studied the Bible. He'd studied every book he could get on the Bible. He went to Bible college, and now he's the associate pastor at the church where the Bible school was located. And he's going back in. He's gone back into the prison system of, of California, and that's not supposed to be able to happen. And yet, the favor of God was upon him to get him out of prison and take him back in and begin to redeem others. That's the inheritance that God gives us. So it must. The New Testament church must include the gospel of grace. If it doesn't, it's failing miserably as the New Testament church, even if it is one. It must include the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We go after this as a church. We've talked about that. But Karen mentioned this, that the, that the Holy Spirit is the third member of the Godhead. He's not, it's not a hierarchy. It's, 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 he's the present here. He leads the church now. Um, he's leading the church in this age. This is what the Bible talks about. For, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. God is the Spirit. So we get it. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So the Lord is the master. He's supposed to be in charge. The Bible says that as the apostles were going off into mission, Paul's taking his team. He's going to Mysia. He gets there, and he's about to take a, a right and head into uh, a, a, what we know as Turkey now, into Asia. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit forbid him to do that. So he stops. They pray that night. They, they pray into the night. They're, the team is just on hold, and they're praying. And the Bible says in the night he has a vision from God, and there's a man from Macedonia, which is what we now, now know as the Balkans, uh, uh, um, what is it, um, Bosnia, uh, different places like that, that a man from that area spoke to Paul in the vision and said, come help us. And this is what he said. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us that we should go do that. So the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding. He's trying to lead the church in every way. And our responsibility is to follow the leading of the Spirit, to walk in step with him, that he teaches us and guides us. So here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God teaches us. Um, when, it, when it comes to understanding sin and understanding grace and how that all works, the Bible says that he teaches us to say no 
to sin. Isn't that amazing? Like he doesn't force us. He doesn't beat us over the head, but he teaches us. So he's leading us and he's guiding it. And you feel it sometimes when I'm like, hey, I want to go do this. And something rises up inside you and go, that's not a good idea. Don't do that. Or you feel this prompting. This morning, we changed our worship service this morning. Totally changed. I threw a curveball at our worship team. They did a phenomenal job of picking that up. But we changed our service because in prayer time, I sang a song in prayer time that wasn't part of this, this uh, service this morning in worship time. And the Holy Spirit just kind of lit on that, on that song. Like he was, he was saying, hey, I really like this. Would you do this? And Karen comes to me. She goes, I think we need to do that during the service. And I, I'm like, I think you're right, even though it's a real big challenge. And I, right? Because <laughs> uh, I do okay, but, that, you know, I, I got to practice to get it right. And I'm like, okay. So we did it. And the presence of God was here again, right? And so, so what we're after, we're after the encounter. But we don't get it unless we're led by the one who gives the encounter. Right? And so that's what we're after. Our responsibility, we have a responsibility to submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So let me talk about how he leads. We know about the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. See the grace in it? But he leads us by this fruit is from him. Self-control is from the Spirit of God. You can try, be Batman if you can, right? Right? Because Batman has the most incredible willpower on the planet. <laughs> but he, he still doesn't have enough willpower to stop his sinning, right? Maybe he didn't kill people anymore, but he still messed up. My point is, is we cannot do this without the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And that fruit begins to rise up. And here's what we need to understand, that it must be evidence. This fruit must be evident in the life of a believer. <clears throat> if you're being led by the Holy Spirit, there is going to be the fruit of the Spirit in your life, Right? So the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I won't get into all of this because all of these could be a series and multiple series in themselves. But 1 Corinthians 12, 1, listen to this. Now concerning spiritual gift, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know what that tells me? You and I can be ignorant. The good news is there's a fix for ignorant, not a fix for stupid. So if you're stupid, I'm, I'm praying for you. It's going to be a miracle to get you out of that dumb thing, right? Maybe it's just youth. I don't know. But the point is, ignorance can be fixed. How is ignorance fixed? fixed. The knowledge. Remember what some of the scriptures that came earlier? The knowledge of the Lord will fill the earth, right? Why are we in conflict? Why, is, why are people doing what they're doing? Because they're not in agreement, walking in step with the Spirit of God. Jesus comes. You want to change a nation? You have to change the hearts of the leaders of the nation. America was founded, founded. We know this to be true. There's a lot of argument out there about how it was, but go back and read the history for yourself. I'm a big history buff. And I discovered, in many ways, I discovered God in the writings of the early fathers of our nation. Jonathan Edwards was one of the greatest theologians of the early church in America, and he was also a statesman in America. Most people who study history know Jonathan Edwards as a statesman, did not know he was a preacher. That's crazy that they would, that, that part of it they left out, but that's his value. Remember we talked about a culture is a shared value system with a community, no matter how big that community is. And if you notice, one of the things that's so challenging right now, there are certain values that lean this way and certain values that lean this way, and all of us are missing the whole point of the only way we're going to do this right is to follow the one who made us in the first place. The gifts of the Holy Spirit can be learned, they can be understood, they can be walked in, and, we, and the Bible challenges us to do it. 1 Corinthians 12, you want to see a list of the, of the 
the gifts that the Holy Spirit moves upon people. There's grace gifts. We've talked about this. There's leadership gifts in the church. There's, um, there's the gifts of the Holy Spirit that pour out in a service. All those things, the Bible says that the same Spirit works all these things, distributing each one individually as He wills. I pray all the time, like, Lord, I want to get better at words of knowledge. It's one of those things where I like, I, that has so much impact on the lives of people. When I, I walk up to somebody and the Lord drops this nugget in my heart about who they are in the deepest part of their heart. Jesus did this all the time. The woman at the well, she said, you know, I'll go get my husband. He's like, yeah, hey, good luck with that cause. And he drops this word of knowledge on her. And then she goes off. And she, she has an encounter with God. She goes off. She comes back. She tells everybody, come and hear this man who told me everything about me. He just said one thing. But that one thing was that, that one Jenga block that just when he pulled it, all of the brokenness came falling down. That word of knowledge, I'm like, Lord, I want to get better at that. Some of it is learning it. And some of it is being willing to submit to him as he wheels. When he does it, I have to be bold enough to go, hey, I don't, I'm trying to learn how to hear God more, and I feel like God is saying this to you. What do you think about that? If they start freaking out and crying, you're probably right. And then you have to explain to them, you know, God's not going to hit you with a stick. Now let me explain to you the grace of the God who just revealed that stuff. And it's not revealing their sin. Like anybody can do that, Right? What God's trying to reveal is who he says they are. And you draw that out. That's part of what we do for one another and part of what we do for others. So the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and, and this is something we lean into. You see this in the New Testament church, a mature response to the Spirit. So listen to this. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about this. He says, brothers, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal to babies. You were babes in Christ. I wanted to bring you stuff, but you were so young in, this, in, this, in the Holy Spirit, you couldn't hear it. You couldn't understand it. And listen to what this, he says. He goes on. He says, um, for where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? In other words, you're not behaving like the, ma- the men and women of God that I made you to be, right? So there's more to it. And then listen to this. This is 1 Corinthians 11. This is fascinating. He said, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. He's challenging them pretty hard. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. He's saying that in, in that mortal thing of, I have my opinion, you have your opinion, and we fight about it. You don't get to do that in the church. We have a plurality of eldership, right? We went through this whole last 18 months or more, and one of the biggest questions we were asking, has God changed the vision of DCF? Should we be doing something different? And the answer was absolutely not. You know what we are having to do different? We're having to navigate the, the, the why, not the why, but the how of how we do what God's called us to do. And that's really, really challenging in our, in our time frame. But it's not an argument about what God's called us to, to do because we all have aligned ourselves. This is his purpose. This is his plan, and I'm submitted to it 100%. So he says your meetings can do more harm than good. You ever been to a church? Maybe you haven't. <laughs> I have. I've actually led this church where the, some of the meetings were doing more harm than good. How is that possible? How is that possible? The leaders are not submitted to the, to the lordship of Christ. The, the people that are using their gifts for um, personal gain, for influence, are doing all, they're, they're immature in every way. And so one of the things you see as, as a keynote in the, in the New Testament is the leading of the Holy Spirit and people growing and becoming mature in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
So let me give you an example. Some churches, I came from a Pentecostal background, and that church, when the Holy Spirit would move, would move in our services and there were new people in there, good luck, figure it out for yourself because we're just going to go with it and whatever God does, we do. You don't need an explanation. He's God. Get over it. That was kind of the opinion, right? It's not at all what you see in the Bible. The first move of God that became really confusing to people who knew, who thought they knew God, the Spirit of God begins to move in their midst on the day of, the, uh, day of Pentecost, fires over people's heads, they're talking in languages, they're hearing God, uh, God's praises and who he is and his power and his might in their own language. It's like tongues and interpretation and fire and ah, right? And Peter stands up, the leader of the church, mature response to the Lord, which was not always Peter's forte, okay? He stands up and he says, hey everybody, this is not what you think it is. They're not drunk. You know what that tells me? They looked like they were drunk, I don't have a problem with people having an encounter with God and they look like they're drunk. But don't give them the microphone. Right? They're supposed to be leaders amongst God's people. We're going to get to this in a second. because so, I know I'm going a little bit long, but this is so important. Because this is the church. Welcome to the church. We, we had a friend, um, Greg, you guys, some of you guys know Greg comes in from up at Northlands, great friend of mine, leads a great church up there, and, and there was a service where the, the Spirit of God was moving, he was the overseeing elder, he was the guy who was overseeing the service, and God became, started to move, and he started to blubber like a, you know, crying, and he's just losing it, man, and the Spirit of God is all over him, and he's just, I'm sitting right behind him, and he just starts, he's a big guy, and his head starts getting lower and lower and lower, and he's slinking, and all of a sudden he just slides right out of the chair and lays on the floor. I'm like, that guy's in charge of us. <laughs> you know what happened? It turns out there's a plurality of elders because, you know, the Bible and stuff. And so one of the other elders said, he's probably not the best guy to hand this microphone to, even though he's leading the service. So somebody else picked it up and said, hey, guys, this is what God's doing. And they administrated what the Holy Spirit was trying to do in the local church. We want to do that. That's our heart and our passion. It's the reason why we have someone over here overseeing the church, and, and we're going to make more and more mention of this, that we believe in body ministry. Not that you get to do anything you want to do, because the Bible says you don't. They were, some of their meetings were doing more harm than good. But when the move of God comes and the encounter of God comes, it's okay. Some people are going to freak out. We, we had a friend, I have a friend who's an electrician, and I work with him. Thank God I never got shocked, but, but he did a couple of times. And he, he would, because he, he was doing the work and everything, I was just carrying stuff. He, would, he poked something, he's like, oh! And I was like, what in the whole world was that? He said, I just, you know, 110 volts, that's what that was. <laughs> and I was like, well, how do you not just go home right now? I mean, like, if that was me, I would go home and go, Karen, could you bring me some chicken soup? Because I'm going to be in the bed crying, right? That's what would happen to me. But he was an experienced, mature electrician. So one thing that happened is he didn't get shocked that many times to the point where he was unable to function and move forward in the role he was called to play. That's maturity. And so the ministry of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean, I hope I get wrecked in front of you. I hope I do. I hope I do. I'm, I'm planning on it, actually, right? I hope I get wrecked. But then we give the microphone to Alan or Dave or Val. or Ke some. Well, Karen's going to be wrecked. Let's, she got there before all of us. <laughs> Dave, too. Dave's going to be crying over here, <laughs> the weeping prophet over here. But I'm, my point is, is the leadership of the Holy Spirit is, it doesn't mean it's out of control. It doesn't mean that, it, that, that it's not something that's mature and helpful. And so Peter says, this is not what you think it is. It's this. And he connected it to what God was doing in the prophetic word of Joel, saying, this is what God is going to do. So, hey, man, get a hold of this. It's going to be awesome. 
and it changed the world, right? So the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and that kind of brings it into conjunction. I already talked about this, but leaders being appointed by the Holy Spirit. Listen to the scripture. This is, um, uh, this is 1 Peter 5, 1 and 3, because um, he talks about bringing oversight. So Peter says, to the elders among you, so the leaders of the church, right, the ones who I've given oversight and governmental charge to, he said, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock, that is under your care. You are an under shepherd. Be shepherds of God's flock, not shepherds of your own. I can't, I, I'd love to own you guys and tell you what to do, but I can't, right? It's so much easier if I, if I just control you. But you guys seem to think that Jesus is in control. So it just messes my whole plan up to, you know, create my own cult. So why does that matter? It matters because Paul said it this way. He said, I love you because you gave yourself first to the Lord and then to us. There is an expectation that you give yourself to the leadership of the church, and it, but it's expected to be mature and honest, and the authority that they used, Paul said, was to build up and never tear down, right? So he says, all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So what does that look like? It's an amazing thing that God comes and he chooses from among the people of a local church, and he says, I want you and you and you and you, whoever, and it's always more than one, right? Unless you're just planting a church, but the expectations, it would be plural. Why? Because God's saying, I want a group of people that when I come and I want to lead in a meeting and I want to lead God's people to do something, that they will listen to me and administrate what I want to do. People say to me all the time, must be nice being an elder, you get to do whatever you want. I'm like, you so don't understand eldership. That's not how it works. My authority is not to tear you down, but to lift you up. Administrate, to govern, never to resist the move of the Holy Spirit. Lastly, keynote for the New Testament church, we know this, is to make disciples. There is something God's called you to do, but the good news is he's equipped you to do it. He gives you the authority because he's given you the responsibility, and you take responsibility because he's given you the authority. Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations. We know this, right? Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'm with you to the end of the age. What does that look like? We make disciples. How do we do it? Go read how Jesus did it. This is fascinating to me. Jesus would go do something in the crowds, and it would be a little bit confusing, right? And they would ask questions, and he would talk to them in parables. He said, hearing, they would not hear, right? What was he saying? He's saying that if you want the kingdom of God, you're going to have to want the kingdom of God. You know, Tyler talked about this last week. When you choose the kingdom, it's not an accidental choice. <laughs> it's presented very clearly. Jesus is saying, I want to sit on the throne of your heart, and nothing else can have dominion. Nothing. That's, it's that way or not at all. You don't get to half. It's kind of like being pregnant. You either is or you ain't, right? <laughs> if you want to be a believer, you want to call yourself a follower of Christ, at some point in your life, you have to give 100% authority and dominion to Jesus. Now, why is it that you think that people suffer and fear to do that? I can tell you a big one. The church has done a horrible job of talking about God's goodness. We have misrepresented, as the church, we have mis misrepresented Jesus so much that people think he's a big ogre in the sky, that he's, that he's altogether like us, and the Bible clearly says he's not. But what does that look like? That looks like us reflecting who he is. When we go and make disciples, we're saying, man, he's good. God is good. 
It's like, what about this? What about this marriage that fell apart? What about my business that's gone? What about COVID? Listen, I have an answer for that. You're not going to like it. (laughs) But it's because we screwed it up in the beginning, and God is trying to use us now who've been converted and who've trusted in Jesus to transform this broken world back into the image that he had in mind. And so that's what we're about. What are you about? Right? (laughs) Because people just want to complain. They want to throw hissy fits, and they want to throw, you know, God's an ogre. But the Bible said that he is good. The linchpin of all theology is he's good. Let me just touch on this for a second. There's a famous preacher. If I told you his name, you'd know exactly who I'm talking about. He's written books about the sovereignty of God. I fully believe in the sovereignty of God, but not like he teaches it. Because what he teaches is cancer from God. Why? He's trying to teach you something. And my question, why would would you do that to your kids? Would you give your kids cancer because you're going to, you know what, I'm going to teach you something. Like, do you, I mean, we see this in Walmart. Some immature parent, the kid acts out of, they're acting like they shouldn't act, right? And, they, and the parent overreacts and brings the authority that God has given them as a parent down on them to press them, depress them, oppress them, and potentially break their identity. And God's like, I, that's not, as a parent, that's not why I've given you authority. I've given it. Giving it to you to call out who that child is. The Bible says raise up a child in the way they should go, not the way you want them to go. You're going to have a compliant child, right? I've got two nephews. I love them both. They're so amazing. I can't even begin to tell you. And they're good looking because they look just like me. And (laughs) one of them is super compliant, and he's the easiest kid in the world to hang out with. If you just push back and challenge, he is absolutely, Uncle Dave, I, I get it. And the other kid, I just look at him, and he, his hair stands up when I look at him. He's like, I will whack you, Uncle. I mean, it's just his, 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 but the moment I bring authority, when he comes to our house, and the moment I bring authority, I'm like, hey, buddy, I'm doing this for your good. But I'm going to challenge you, and you, if you knew what you were doing, you'd have an, your own apartment by now, right? But, but my tendency is he angers me, and I want to react to him out of my anger rather than respond to him with the authority has given, been given to me as an adult. And it matters. Let me say that again. It matters what we do with what God has given us. He is building his church. We make disciples, and from that, he's building his church. Let me close with this. I already said this. The church is not a building. So I want to read you a passage. And this is what the summary of the church. It is the reconciled reconciling. Let me read that to you, and I'm going to close. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Man, that is a promise that's worth looking into. Verse 18, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. We didn't do it. He did. He initiated. We lean in and co-labor and we co-inherit. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Listen to this. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message or ministry of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us, the church. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made made right with God through Christ. Through Christ. He's saying, listen, this is the message you preach. You plead with people to come back to God. Next week, we're inviting people to church. Why? Because I want to see if we can fill up all the red chairs in the room. No, 
could care less about that. What I care about is there are people that are in your sphere of influence that, that you are the one that God has given the ministry of reconciliation to them. And it's going to take some boldness. It's, it's going to take some willingness, first of all, for you to understand what it means to be reconciled to God. Because if you don't understand that, you will preach whatever message that you understand. You hear me? So listen and hear the grace of God and why it's so important, why it's so powerful, because this is what it said. He initiated this. You were broken and far from sin. You were angry with God. You were doing horrible things. In the worst moments of your life, Jesus gave himself for you. Why? So that whatever was holding you back for relationship with your father is taken away when you put your trust in Jesus. Jesus took all the sin on that day on the cross, all of it, for all time, past, present, and future. It's all been covered. It's all been taken away by what Jesus did, the finished work of the cross. But it will not take effect in your life unless you believe fully in what he has done and you place your trust in him and allow him to be the Lord of your life. Tyler said it last week, salvation's free, man. It is. But if you want to grow up and to be the church that God has called us to be, to walk with fullness of inheritance and the mission and the purpose of God, because most of that inheritance has been given to you not just for you to enjoy, but you as an elder brother can go after that younger brother who's over there feeding pigs by now because he's partied all of his money away and his friends. And you and I get to pour into that guy's life and remind him of who he is and who his father is, and they get to come home and enjoy the God of grace in the same way that you and I do. So I encourage you, get a hold of grace. Push back. Not, don't just make it about sin. Sin's been taken away. Make it about, Lord, when I begin to believe in you, all the inheritance that I need to push back sin is available to me. But also, that inheritance has been given to me to minister to others. So when you go to a restaurant and someone's waiting tables, Lord, is there something you would like to say to this younger brother through this older brother? The neighbor across the street, the person you work with. Don't be weird about it. You don't have to be a weirdo. Be weird when God's being weird, but don't be weird otherwise, right? God will sort his own weirdness out in their life, but your weirdness they're going to have to work through. You get my, what I'm saying? Don't be weird for weird's sake. But if God moves on you to touch another person's life, risk it all. Amen? We are the church. Welcome to the church. Amen. Stand with me. Jesus, we love you and are so incredibly thankful for you, Lord. We love what you're doing in us. Lord, we can't wait to see what you're going to do as we move forward. As, as Karen was talking about our time during worship and prayer, that all this conflict, everything that's going on, Lord, there's coming a day when all of the enemies of Jesus will be made a footstool for him. Lord, you did that on the cross, and then you're working that out through the church. But there's coming a day, Lord, your word says, well, every knee, every bow, every, tongue, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that you are this great God that we always knew you to be. Lord, let us preach this gospel of grace with the fullness of the inheritance of God behind us. Lord, we love you, want to be used of you, want to step into more and more purpose and be used of you in greater ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our ministry team will be up here if you need prayer or breakthrough in anything. Otherwise, you guys have a wonderful week.